Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Well, hello. Hello, everyone. Well, we used to be in a winter tent, and now we're in a spring tent. Does anybody feel the difference between a winter tent and a spring tent? (laughs) Welcome to the spring tent. This is exciting times. We're intense, John Cole. That's true. Um, So I just wanted to make sure we all celebrated that Vanessa Hale had her baby. Did you guys see that? A little Jackson, he's perfect. And, you know, these last couple weeks of worship, as she's just been caring for her baby, have just been phenomenal. And what what we've been stepping into in the atmosphere of worship as just a community together has just been so beautiful. And, you know, one thing about being a spiritual leader is that we, we are leading in a way that I don't have to be in the room for the anointing to be there. And Vanessa has created an environment in our worship where she doesn't have to be in the room for the, for the worship leaders to be anointed because they're not leaning on her for their anointing. They're leaning on the open heaven that we all have access to. And so a mark in our lives of faithful leadership is when I step to the side, does everything accelerate? When I step to the side, when I take a rest, does everything get better? Because that's the momentum of the kingdom. And in Ephesians, uh, Paul said, Jesus is the source of everything needed in the church. So in all of our spheres of influence, our overwhelming goal is, am I pronouncing a reality that makes Jesus the source and not me? Am I pronouncing and living with an invitation? Your source is ready, available, and willing. I'm not always ready, available, and willing. (laughs) You're not always ready, available, and willing. But when Jesus is the source of everything needed in the church, we can expect glory to glory momentum. And we all get better when you take care of you. We all get better when you do what Jesus is asking you to do right? So I'm just so excited about our next several weeks together that I, I just, I can feel we're all showing up with an expectation that's right and good. And, you know, I listened to this TED talk this week uh, uh, by this Christian comedian guy. And he, he was just saying everything changed, everything shifted in his uh, comedy acts one, one day when he felt really the Lord talk to him and say, don't show up to get laughs. Don't show up to take laughs from people. Show up to give people laughs. Show up to give a laugh. Show up to give something away. And everything in the environment changes when we show up to give. When I show up, not just to take someone else's glory, but to give my glory. When I show up to add to the mix the glory that I'm carrying, it propels the entire atmosphere to go from glory 
to a new glory because I just walked in the room to give away my glory. And so that's who we are. We're a community of people that are showing up to take our family from glory to glory because we can't get to where we're going in glory without you bringing your glory to give. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about that even today. If you can open to Matthew chapter 25. I, I just have this parable on my heart the last several weeks. And we're going to pick it up in um, four, verse 14. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom. And he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted the, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. And, you know, a talent, if you look down at the footnote, was a monetary unit worth about 20 years wages of a laborer. 20, one talent was worth 20 years of labor. So this is extreme trust that this master, Jesus is painting a picture of a master that is being wildly generous and wildly trusting with his servants. And, you know, he's using the example of money, but the lesson, you know, transfers over to anything in our life we've been given to steward. And what is in our possession that Jesus has given? Like everything. Like everything we have is because Jesus has given it. And, you know, one guy got five talents, one guy got two, and one guy got one, each according to his own ability. And, you know, we, we all don't have the same ability. And in the world, the value system is your ability equates your worth. But in the kingdom, in a kingdom family, ability doesn't equate worth. It doesn't equate significance. My 13-year-old has more ability than my 6-year-old. I put her in charge of things I would not even think of putting my 6-year-old in charge of. Does she have less value around the table? No. Does she have less significance around the table? No. And, you know, we have got to be in the room when I get one talent and Joe gets 25. I got to be sitting at the table when he gets wildly more than me because I can't risk having my value in the kingdom flowing from extreme to extreme based on where I level out with my ability. In some seasons, I, I have an ability that entrusts me with one talent. And, you know, the overwhelming reality that Jesus is getting across is I trust you. I trust you. And the emphasis in your life isn't how much, am I, how much am I stewarding compared to the person next to me. The emphasis in my life is the master just walked up to me, looked me in the eyes and said, this is for you. And our, our point of definition isn't what he gave us, but who he is to us. And, you know, when, when we have been entrusted by gifts, talents, callings, assignments from the person of Jesus. The worth isn't coming from 
quantity. How much do I have? And when we think the value of what we've been given comes from quantity, I need more, I need more for significance, I need more for influence, I need more, more, more. We've lost the heart of heaven that values radically different than the world values. The, the least of these in the kingdom, the smallest measure is massive in heaven. It's massive. And our motivation to value what we've been given comes because we value the one that's giving it. And it has worth in our life because it matters to Jesus. If, if he gave it to you, it's because it's important to him. And, you know, I remember this. We don't get to decide what our ability is. And we don't get to decide how many talents we steward in whatever season we're in. That's the job of the master. And when we start making it our job to acquire more talents, to acquire more, 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 we've lost the heartbeat of our design. And, you know, the, I remember I made the, the freshman basketball team, I mean, the, the varsity basketball team when I was a freshman. And I, I came from a super small school, so this felt like a huge deal in my life, right? I was a little bit very terrified. And, you know, the, there were seniors that had been playing. This would be their fourth year playing. And they got cut, and a freshman made it. So, you know, their friends on the team didn't receive me with overwhelming joy, you know? <laughs> in the deficit when it came to joy over my gifts and talents. And I remember, you know, we were in one game and, and there was a technical foul. So that means everybody goes to the line and there's just one person shooting a basket all by themselves. And my, you know, my maiden name was Calkins and that's what everybody on the court called me. So my coach was like, Calkins, take the shot. It's like a tight game. And nobody's happy that he put a freshman on the team, even my teammates, you know? And so the, the crowd is full. I look at my coach and I'm like, me? In front of everyone. And fire came out of his eyeballs. Get on the line. And I, you know, I'm like, I'm terrified. I'm like, you are ruined. shot I totally make it then everybody's happy you know the next day at practice he literally pushes me into a corner you know gently he's like if you ever question my authority on the court like that again you know and I'm like I wasn't from the the south yet but in my heart I was saying yes Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, you know, you are not wired to define for yourself your ability. You are not wired to define for yourself how many talents am I wired to steward on planet Earth. And, you know, it actually takes a designer it takes a creator to know what we were created for. And we have an entire generation right now going on a identity frame.
your toes, deciding why you were created. Before the foundation of the earth, you were his dream. You were his design. You know, when he was designing Dan, he probably had a whiteboard. And he was like, he was like drawing pictures. He's like, Jesus, come here. Holy Spirit, like this is going to be our boy. Let's think it through. Let's, let's lay it out clear. Let's make it plain. Let's make it simple. We're going to blow the world away. They're going to be astonished by what we have done. You know, when they were designing me, there was no whiteboard anywhere to be. The father's like, Jesus, pour another cup of coffee. Pour another cup of coffee. Put some slippers on, Holy Spirit, because we got to get cozy. We're going to get cozy. We're going to get comfortable. Light a Christmas tree. Because I'm going to put my glory on her in a way that confounds the wise. They're going to be like, whoa, whose daughter is that? And you know, you were designed on purpose. There was none of you in human history until the creator, the designer, the, art, the architect of life itself decided you weren't needed. There wasn't a deficit in the God of all gods. They weren't sad when they were dreaming you up. They weren't without purpose before the foundation of the world. When there was, the earth was void, they were not. They were full of everything we know and love them to be. They were the person of joy, the person of hope, the person of love. And you know what Jesus in his final prayer said, Father, I desire that they be with me in the glory we shared before the foundation of the world. You, the dream of you was actually birthed from the fullness of glory. You weren't needed to fill up some weird thing in the heart of God. You were wanted that you would know for every moment, for every breath, for every thought that you think, I'm not needed, I am wanted. And when you are wanted, it changes everything. Because you don't come to the table, if you have a mindset, my value comes if my, if my gifts are needed. My value comes if my talents are needed. If there's a hole and I have what the hole fills, then I have value. But when your value comes because you were wanted, you don't, Resist coming to the table when there's no hole for you to fill. You come to the table because of who you are and who you belong to, not because of the talents, gifts, callings, and assignments on your life, because those are going to ebb and throw and flow based on the capacity within you to, to have ability. And, you know, the, the creator knows things about you right now that you haven't even discovered yet. And, you know, the other day, my daughter's head was on my lap, and I was just rubbing her hair, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw this little tiny freckle in the back of her ear. And I just smiled. It was so cute. And I thought, 
I've never seen this freckle before in my life. Like I gave birth to this human being. I, I mean, I practically, you know, I gave birth to her. We'll just stop there. And you know, the, I just smiled in delight as I thought she would never even know this freckle is there and I'm delighting over it unless I told her. And I felt the smile of the father and I, I, I heard his heartbeat. You know, there's things I delight about you that, and your story and who you are and who I designed you to be and you're not even aware they're there. <laughs> right now, there's things you haven't even scratched the surface with what he looked in you eyeball to eyeball and said, this matters to me. And you're not even aware I was born for that. I was born for this. And, it, you know, the best of who you are comes to the surface when you have lost yourself in the master. And, you know, the, if, if we go over to verse 16, it says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. You know, so the guy with five, he just went right away and did something with what he had been given. The guy with two did the same. And then the third guy hides his talent in the ground. And you know what, I, I have just been discovering in my own spiritual journey with the Lord is sometimes growing up in Christian culture, it can feel more spiritual to hide your talent in the ground than to go out and boldly do something with it. And you know what I'm realizing is that the master is not honored when we bury what he gave us. Like the master isn't intimidated when you go boldly do something with what he put in your care. He's actually pleased. He, he's actually honored. And, you know, sometimes it can feel like, you know, when Paul was here, he was just going through how revival leads to reformation. Revival leads to renaissance, culture change, the world landscape shifted. And how statistically people of God very rarely are at the heights of those spheres of influence, influencing culture with their creative ideas, with their brilliant thinking, with their gifts, talents. And, you know, when he was saying that, my heart just felt so grieved because I feel like it, it's been a, a scheme of the enemy to keep the people of God spiritualizing hiding what we've been given. And humility and hiding is not the same thing. And you know, so much of the Christian life, we could feel like we're stuck, parked behind a red light. Okay. I'm just waiting for God to give me the yes. You know, I'm just waiting. I'm, this is one that got me and still I get, you know, tricked into every once in a while, you know, like I just want my motive to be right. Anybody ever been there? You know, I just want my motive. I'm just going to wait here 
I just want to make sure my motive isn't self-seeking, that there isn't selfish ambition. I'm so stressed out about my motive. So I'd rather just bury what I've been given than risk taking a risk and finding out, oh, my motive had no eternal significance and now I'm a loser, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> this is what the truth is. Your motive doesn't stay clean in a parked pond. Dirty water gets dirtier without movement. And your motive stays clean by you continuing to move forward. And if you want to drink from a clean spring, you got to make your way to the headwaters where it is rushing, gushing, almost like a river out of your innermost being that would gush, that it would not be turned off, that it would keep flowing and flowing and flowing. And you know, when you put a hose in a dirty ditch and you have it on full blast, that water is staying pure. It's staying clean. It's staying connected to the source of our purity. Because the truth is we have been given a brand new heart with a new set of motives, with a new reason for stewarding what we've been given. And, you know, sometimes it feels like, I'm just encouraging myself in the Lord, so don't see a pointing finger. Um, <laughs> we want to be a disciple of Jesus without ever actually having to be discipled by Jesus. And, you know, sometimes I look through the Gospels at the way People interacted with Jesus, and I feel embarrassed for them. You know, like, you're going to verbally say that? You know, they're all sitting in a circle, the disciples and Jesus, and they're arguing right there in front of the Messiah about, hey, who's going to be the greatest? Because I actually think I'm going to be the greatest. Well, I think I'm going to be the greatest, and I'm going to have a seat next to him in eternity. Where are you going to sit? You know, you're probably going to be over there. I'm going to be right here. I'm the greatest. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm blushing for you that you are saying those things. The, the king of the whole world is in your circle. He's the greatest. He's the greatest, you know. And they apparently knew something about being a follower of Jesus, that it's better to say it out loud than to hide it in the ground and stop behind a, a red light until we get this figured out. And, you know, they were moving forward trusting that they would be discipled in their thought life by the one they were following. And no one wins when you take discipleship into your own hands. When you're the final say about your motive, about your abilities, about the pursuit in your life. And, you know, it's like when Martha is, you know, making sandwiches, cleaning the house, doing all the stuff we do every single day, you know. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, just drinking it in. And Martha comes and verbalizes. She, like, tells on her sister. I'm like, oh my gosh, Martha, I'm so embarrassed for you, you know? <laughs> and she's like, Jesus, Mary's doing nothing. I'm doing everything, <laughs> you know? Ch 
in the Passion Translation. He says, Martha, my beloved Martha. And he, he corrects her because he loves her. He corrects her because he, she was a literal friend of God. And it's impossible to be a friend of God and not live loud and on purpose and with intention. And, you know, Proverbs says, watch over your heart with all diligence because out of it is going to flow everything in life that matters. But you're not watching over your heart, making sure you never need to be corrected. That's a religious, stale mindset. You're watching over your heart with all diligence so that when you are corrected, you're humble, you're tender, you're aware, you're diligent to align with the way of Jesus. And, you know, the, the need, Jesus said, you know, it is normal for children to be disciplined. It, it's the way of love. It, and we should expect it. Every time it happens to me, I just feel so loved. I feel like, wow, your attention to things I could never see in my own heart makes me feel so safe, makes me feel so seen. I, I remember, you know, I was navigating a decision and I'd been thinking for a couple days, well, this door's shut. I just need to move on. And I, I, I heard Jesus say, you know, you, it's easier to say the door is shut when really it's just shrunk and it's going to take more humility than what you currently live at to crawl through that door. <laughs> I'm crawling now. I'm getting down on my hands and knees and I'm happy to live down here if it means I get to be a disciple of Jesus, if I get to live in the way of Jesus. And, you know, when I, you know, before I moved here, I was a youth pastor for the last, like, year and a half, and um, there was some passionate kids in that youth group, and then there was some kids that hadn't discovered yet that they were passionate kids about Jesus in that youth group, right? Dave and Tracy, see me, and so, you know, the majority of my messages were like, hey, could, could you stop eating your Cheetos right now? Like, the bag is super distracting. Or could you, can, your head is in his lap. That's super inappropriate. Like, I feel uncomfortable even looking at what's happening here. You know, like, uh, do you think you could turn the volume off your game? Like, while you play it, while I'm preaching the gospel, the resurrected Christ, you know? So I was, like, stewarding my ability, you know, and... We got the jobs here. And, you know, for a good solid year, I dealt with this fear. Like, man had promoted me and God didn't. Like, this is just terrifying, you know? Like, I, I just need to hide everything I've ever been given until I see Jesus in the flesh. Come and dig it up, you know? And right on the wall, this is my assignment for you, you know? And I'll never forget, it was like the very beginning of the year. And, you know, the opening ceremonies for Bassam is all the directors give a message. And I was like last on the docket. So I'm listening to 
you know, one of my dearest friends, she's like a literal prophetess. And she's so brilliant and, and beautiful. And, you know, it feels like she has abilities for 455 talents, you know. And, and the second one, and I am, I am growing more and more insecure by the moment as I'm sitting in the back. And I had this direction I felt like I was supposed to go. And, you know, that's mostly been the way that I work. I just feel a, a, a little tiny nudging, you know? It's not like this overwhelming voice of the Lord booms, say this, you know? And so I had this unction, like I'm supposed to talk about this, but it just felt so elementary. It felt so youth group, you know? And I, I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are gonna be listening to me. Like they have notebooks and pencils. You know, like, they're paying money to listen to me. And I, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, and all this was happening while I'm smiling, you know, with my director shirt on. And I'm like, the, I just think, I just, I just want to be profound, you know. And I couldn't, like, fully articulate that that was the motive that was coming up in the moment. But that was absolutely the motive coming up. I want to be profound. I want to be awesome. I want people to think, wow, she is awesome, you know? So I, I veer away from what I had learned year after year in stewarding one talent about this is what it kind of feels like, and I just kind of follow that. And I, I chose, I'm just going to talk about the best thing I know to talk about. <laughs> you guys, it, it was terrible. Nobody would have known it was terrible. The inside of my soul felt terrible. And, you know, I went home that night, and I knew, I absolutely knew I chose the appearance, the, you know, the fear of man over the opinion of God. Like violated everything I live for, you know? And oh, great, there's a bad motive in there. I found a bad motive. My life is over. I'm going back behind the red light. I'm going to bury this. And it's not going to get resurrected until the Holy Spirit himself picks me up out of the dirt and said, you can be visible again, <laughs> you know? And so I went home. I couldn't sleep. I got up at like 2 a.m. and I'm just pacing the living room of our foreclosure house that, you know, was just a pile of mess. It was a very right reflection of what was going on in my soul. And, you know, he's not angry. He's not doing any of the things we fear he's going to do when we discover a bad motive. You know, he, all I can hear is the whisper of a father. Are you learning? It's like the things Danny Silk teaches us. That's how he sounds. Like, hey, honey, how did this work out for you? <laughs> How'd this work out for you, sweetie? You having a good time? Uh, do you need a hug? You need a hug? You know, I'm, I'm waiting for like, hey, you're going to be benched. You better take a break from ministry because you have a self-seeking motive. You know? There was none of that. 
I, I met the discipleship of Jesus. I met the discipleship of Jesus that said, keep the water on, pick up the pace, start running faster. You have too much time to look at you. You need to run faster into the heart of my face. You need to burn brighter. You need to arise and shine because your light has come. And you know, I remember Wendy Backlund saying, the only people that are afraid of distracting people from the glory of God, if they arise and shine, are the people that have never seen his glory. Because what I've heard him say is, Wendy, you can shine as bright as you want to shine. You'll never even get close, honey. You know, you won't even get close. But you know what you will do is you will move the heart of Jesus by taking a risk on what he, what you've been given. Because our our overwhelming motive, if we look at this passage, is the master comes back. And, you know, the guy with five talents had went and made five more. And listen to what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then the guy who had two talents and had made two more. Listen to what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. You know, they each got a promotion, but their reward was the same. We're not all stewarding the same ability in every season. We're not all stewarding the same talent in every season. But what is the same is the reward of your master's joy. The reward of nobody gets more of the joy of Jesus based on your performance. Nobody in the kingdom gets a higher reward because you had more talent or you had more gifts or he entrusted you with more. In every season of your life, the reward is well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your master. And the joy of Jesus is our motivation. Because, you know, when you know your story and you know what he has rescued you from, you can't help but look him in the eyes. And, you know, he's got like those smile wrinkles everywhere because he is happiness on display. And you can't help but want him to have your reward in me. Have the fullness of your reward in my life. And, you know, the joy of Jesus is a motivator like nothing else in our life because it's the only one that makes it past delay. And his whole example, when Jesus is saying the kingdom is like, and when there's been a delay, who do we become in the delay? And, and the only motive that makes it past disappointment, past, you know, getting bumps and bruises and failures along the way of trying to steward with goodness and faithfulness what he's put in our care is the joy of Jesus. Am I enjoying Jesus along the way? Am I filling my life up with you are my motivation? You are my spring in the morning. And, you know, I remember one morning just 
growing into stewarding, you know, all sorts of different things in my life. And I was stewarding them with anxiety instead of joy. You know, anybody ever done that? I'd be faithful in anxiety. And, and I, I'm pouring out my concern or worry. And I look up and Jesus just has his head tipped back. And he is just laughing and laughing and laughing. And I felt this thing erupt in me. I just want to be as happy as you. I just want to steward what you have given me with as much joy as you have right now. The heartbeat of heaven is joy. The, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the... The saddest thing about the guy who went and hid his talent is he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. What you believe about the nature of your God determines with what you do with what he's given you. If you believe he's stingy and hard, you will be afraid to take risks. You will be afraid to be put on like a glove. You will be afraid to be a city, like a lit up hill, like a lit up city on a hill because of the nature of your God. And you will hide what you've been given. And the, you know, when we know he is happy and generous and has made every provision for me to rightfully arise and shine as a daughter of the king. There's no hesitation to make mistakes. It's better to do something and fail than to wait behind a parked red light and hide what you've been given. Because it doesn't take any faith in who he is for you and who he is to you to be in control, hiding everything. And, you know, the nature of our God is the very heartbeat of who we are. You know, the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. Those are the two overwhelming attributes of our God, good and faithful, good and faithful. And when you have known him to be good and faithful, the natural outpouring of your life is good and faithful. And, you know, the, we got to address and attack any area in our thought life that that would settle for a God with a mediocre nature. Because if you're settling for a God with a mediocre nature, you will settle for a mediocre life. But if he is overwhelmingly glorious, if he is overwhelmingly brilliant, if he is overwhelmingly happy, if there's no end to exhausting the wonder of who your God is, that's the kind of life you're going to live. And, you know, the other day, my littlest, I don't know why this happens, if you guys can relate, the parents out there. I'm almost walking on the other side of the street. And she falls and, like, hurts herself. 
and gets up so mad and yells at me. Has, has anybody ever had that happen? Without fail, all four of my children, when they're very little, have done this. I'm like, I'm like your prime source of love, comfort, and affection. And you just ran into a post all by yourself. And all of a sudden, I am the enemy? Okay, you're living in a delusion. You know, and I'm just going to be here as long as you need while you figure this out. I'm on your team. I'm actually on your side. I gave you life. <laughs> you know? And if I could just poke for a second. When something negative happens in your life, let's say you get a flat tire. And your first thought is, God, are you kidding me? because you ran over a nail and I guarantee you your father who bankrupt heaven to come to earth so you can be born again and moved into a castle of perfect love did not go out of his holy way to perfectly position a nail at 2.05 p.m. on a random Monday to intentionally give your car a flat tire. That's not your father. And we can't accept that type of mediocre thinking about the goodness of God as a normal in our daily life. We are growing up into the awareness of his brilliance. We are growing up in the awareness of 100% of his motive towards you is good and kind and merciful. And who am I going to be in my circumstances knowing who I belong to? Oh, I'm going to be the type of person that arises and shines in the midst of deep darkness covering the earth. Because if says you are his poetry you are actually an advertisement for the infinite glory power and majesty of your God you are actually putting on display the limitless riches of the wonder of who he is so when you hide who you are you are hiding who you belong to you are hiding the hope of the gospel that a dark world is dying to catch a glimpse of. And you know, the, the enemy had the main goal in the garden to get Adam and Eve to hide behind fig leaves. And the sound of shame in your life weaving through your story is you know what the world needs? You know what Jesus needs is less of you. You know, what, you, know, you know what every kingdom of this earth needs? They need less of you. You better just stay hidden over here. And Jesus came walking the earth, looking for every fig leaf the people of God had been tricked into hiding under. And, you know, I was reading in the footnotes of the Passion Translation, when Jesus went to the fig tree 
and cursed the fig tree because it was bearing no fruit. And he said he was taking it all the way back to the garden when that fig leaf was first used to hide the people that had been created in the image of a living God. And you have permission. You not only have permission, you have responsibility to arise and shine, to be brilliant, to be wonderful, to be so full of excellence because you care about what the master has given you. You care about the master receiving his rightful reward in your life. So let's just go ahead and stand up. And we just, oh, Jesus, we just say we couldn't be happier to be hidden inside of the light of the world. We are hidden inside the brightest light the world has ever seen. And, and so this morning, we just say we're, we are rising and shining without apology, without distraction, without comparison, because our light has come. And, and so I just, I just feel like I want us to lift up a shout and I want to join in the sound this morning of the cloud of witnesses that are on the sideline of your life, that are cheering you on. You're living in the greatest hour of human history. Arise and shine. Arise and shine. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.